0: So, last week, we had another edition of WFA Talks, 65th edition,
1: but we were missing something. Greg Collard, will you accept a collect phone call from...
2: Lisa Worf.
1: No.
0: She wasn't on the show. We missed her. It was my mistake. So this week, she's back. Hello, Lisa. (laughs) <laughs> hello, Greg. <laughs> uh, obviously a little something different there. A tribute to, or recognition rather, of uh This serial, is cereal week. C- Serial Week. Uh, serial coming back out this week. I didn't even know it was coming out this week. I listened to all the serials before.
2: I think it just dropped yeah. and everyone was like, oh, it just well, dropped. Hello, hello there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just you. There was no like pre-announcement. There was no big rollout party. Um, they were just like, hey, yeah, we got it done.
0: Here you go. Yeah. Of course, uh, the the subject is uh, Sergeant Sergeant Bergdahl.
1: Yep, Bo Bergdahl.
0: He walked away from his post and uh, just his story. Don't give away the plot, Craig. Well, yeah. (laughs) It was in the news. (laughs) (laughs) Have you listened to it yet? No. I've been working. Okay. You're a slave driver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Thank you. This is the 65th edition of WFAE Talks, and um, we are joined this week by Lisa Worf, assistant news director. She was gone last week. Missed you.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Tom, you covered uh, Jennifer Jennifer Roberts and the rest of the new council swearing in ceremony Monday. And uh, Jennifer Roberts gave uh, quite a speech in which she promised an l- awful lot. <laughs> That's what yeah. stood out to us. Yes. For a weak
1: mayor, she made a lot of promises. <laughs> 16 minutes of we're going to get done a whole heck of a lot in two-year time, period. It's It was really surprising. I mean, uh, and it's not just our opinion. I, I was talking to Councilman uh, Greg Phipps immediately after the swearing-in ceremony, and I asked him to describe what he thought of her speech, and and literally all he did was say, it's ambitious, and then there was a pause, and then he laughed. And the laughter, I thought, was so key because Phipps was and just now is uh, the budget chairman for the uh, the committee that works on the city's budget. And, you know, he's got to deal with trying to help piece together all of these proposals. And how, how is the city going to pay for them? Because nobody is interested in another, I mean, what, the third tax hike in as many years? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing about the proposal is, you know, it was just long on – it was basically everything that she said in her campaign – I'm going to make good on all these promises in two years, um, and it's everything from redeveloping the the Eastland Mall site, which the city owns and has failed for quite some time to get a, a, a redevelopment program in there. So it's basically just a big open eyesore. Yeah, they um, bought it.
0: They didn't know it from the beginning. They bought yeah. it after a couple, a uh, few years ago.
1: I, it was you know increasing mentoring programs for uh, youth. We, by oh, doing, yes. Because
0: our youth, our neighborhoods, our workers need attention. That's, that's pretty much everyone, I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, And there really is a little bit of something in here for everyone. I mean, there's there, look the easiest thing to point out is um, we've known for a while, and if you've been listening to this podcast, we've talked about it before. We've certainly covered it on, on WFAE. Um, we know that the police want more cops on the street. It's very simple. They mm-hmm. asked for it a while ago. They got half as many as they wanted. They wanted 250. They got 125. City's population has grown since then. And they want more cops. They point to that as one of the big reasons that there's this, you know, upsurge in crime in Charlotte, and they want to they want to get the police out there. So that's going to be an expensive addition to the budget. That she said, you know, I'm going to make it a budget priority to make that happen. But then she lists off, you know, the Eastland Mall project, mentoring after school programs, uh, small and minority-owned businesses, increasing the the minimum wage. For city workers to $15 an hour, making sure that all workers are receiving the same pay based on job and not on gender. These are all laudable things, but they are all they all come with a price tag and how exactly the city is going to do that when you still have off in the shadows waiting to happen a state legislature that last, last session clearly made their case that we really don't like cities, so we're going to start taking back all of the powers that we've given them. I'm really curious to see what kind of nice little economic wrench they throw at at Charlotte and the rest of North Carolina cities that that could potentially really hurt their budgets. So how are you going to pay for all of that still really remains to be seen. She can advocate
0: for that, though. It's a city manager, though, though that manages all this stuff.
1: Well, but she she can advocate for it. She can um, help coordinate things with, say, outside groups like businesses Mm -hmm. on that mentoring program, um, which was the only thing, by the way – um, that made any kind of reference to her major campaign plank, which was say it with me now education, mm-hmm. which is really funny because of course the Char- Charlottes mayor has absolutely mm-hmm. no role zero role we should we in didn't education. say it with you
2: I'm but sorry. but you know <laughs> that's okay but you know this the CMS school board I'm sure here's here's that and it's like you know this is kind of what we're hoping the, you know they talk a lot about getting the city and county involved as they're trying to redraw boundary lines for schools and stuff and so, um, you know, there is the thought that, okay, with schools, you can, with with the city and schools, you know, the, the city does housing policy and maybe that can play into, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of our goals and things like that. But it, it doesn't sound like she went down that route, that it was uh, the, uh, the after school route that she was talking about no, specifically, but, which I'm sure school folks are, are happy about, you know, if, if city wants city wants to help out sure they'll they'll take it
1: absolutely and i mean you bring up really an interesting point which no she did not mention it in her speech was one of the few things that she did not mention directly in her speech but clearly i would say she's made it clear the door is open but i I have to Mm -hmm. respond with a question back to you why do you think it is that the the school board or the county or whoever do you think they didn't have do did they think they didn't have an active participant or partner with any of the prior charlotte mayors um, Certainly did with Anthony Fox
2: well, but, although he, I'm trying to think with him he there's the security guard thing where the city had helped fund security right. guards and then they said okay we've we've had enough and I think that might have been under Fox I'm not sure or
0: but he or, did something he actually arranged for city money to go towards CMS though right or, or help um, I go going my memory but I thought he played some role in
2: he his, may have but probably but probably not much mm-hmm. i i you know really you know as tom said really the city does not participate right. in, in education for the most part but you but your question is
1: well if they are dying for this i'm just surprised they didn't move on it sooner with whoever happened to occupy the corner office yeah with it, the mayor's placard
2: yeah it's it's certainly you know with the security guard stuff it kind of floated up then but now it's floating up because of all the student assignment stuff and they're saying okay if you want to break up all these clusters of poverty you really need to get the city on board with housing policy because you know people live where they live um policy guides that uh so that's why i think it's really floated up now (laughs) but you know yeah that makes sense yeah I don't think they've gotten a whole lot of response from from uh, most of the the city and, and county commissioners. so I'd be curious. I don't know how much they've talked to Jennifer Roberts about it
0: well, speaking of schools, Lisa, you had a I think in, in, interesting story today on on the debate over school assignment. I thought you you went to a an afternoon meeting of the school board yesterday was it, a, it was a
2: morning meeting oh, all right, okay after, <laughs> it yeah.
0: just took you, me a
1: while and you and you also said today. Her that, story today. Yeah, first. Well, it
0: did air. It's Friday. She did it did air today. Oh, okay, so thought, Friday. So, yeah, you, right. you can say Friday. So uh, yeah, on Friday. So as of word, as of this recording, it's today. Fair enough. They're debating these nuanced issues of uh, like these foundational policies that they're going to agree on before they actually get into student assignment. And one of them is this concept of do no harm. That was just, I think you had some, uh, uh, just an interesting glimpse glimpse into this conversation. Talk about that a little
2: bit. Yeah. I mean, what they're calling these uh, principles that guide this process, the ideas, the the guiding principles. And it's been several months that they've been talking about this. And and yesterday, uh, Thursday at the board meeting, um, one board member said "It, it feels like, people are watching paint dry the the amount of time it's taken to discuss these things and they're still far from even figuring out
0: I got to ask you is that is it is it like watching paint dry covering it too at times <laughs> <laughs>
2: at, at times, at times it is. Okay. there's there's surges every once in a while, but yes, yes. yes.
0: You, you, you spotted a surge yesterday. yeah. So, yeah. Talk. <laughs> well,
2: you know, it was an interesting discussion because they've long said,, um, you know, we want to break up clusters of poverty, and pr- pretty much everyone on on the board agrees with that. They may not agree about how you do that, to what extent you do that. Um, but then it came up yesterday the idea of doing that. But as Eric Davis said, you know, the second goal of uh, doing no harm, basically uh, not interfering with uh, schools that are doing well. Um, so the, you know, people kind of nodded with that. And, and then Tom Tate, who is the uh, chair of the policy committee said, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't know how you can, how you can do that. I mean, for example, like more than half of CMS students live in poverty and there's, you know, 40 uh, percent of CMS schools have, I'm sorry, these are a lot of percentages, mm-hmm. have, um, you know, more than 75 percent of their students um, on free and reduced lunch uh, as of two years ago. Those are the numbers. But anyway, that's a longer story. So, um, you know, how do you do this without impacting all the other, a bunch of other schools in the district. Some people and, are going to be upset. Yeah, and, and, and that's what he said. You know, um, people are going to feel like maybe they're losing something if, uh, for example, a, a student is has to send their, um, a parent has to send their student to a school that's, um, you know, lower test scores, uh, more, you know, kids in poverty, um, maybe further away from their home. So, you know, I... How do you do that? And so that was an interesting. It was an interesting discussion, um, and you know, still, it'll be intriguing to see how all this plays out. But yes, it's uh, looking like maybe we'll have the guiding principles in March, and then you have the whole actually, how do you do that so, taking and, place and after and so that? So the
1: paint dries in March, and then you have to put on the whole new paint. New coat, and we have to watch that. There process. you go. I like yeah. that
2: analogy, carrying it through. Yeah.
0: And in the and in that scenario you just spoke of, though, where you might, if someone has to send their kid to a school that they don't want their kid to go to, at lower scores or whatever, how much fear is there that that parent is going to send their kid elsewhere, whether it's a charter school or mm-hmm. a private school? Because with now, there's just so many more options than there were. What,
2: exactly, and that's years that's, ago. that's what the board is really keeping in mind. I mean, how do you? Um, not alienate parents who are pretty happy with their CMS education right now um, and who could have the option very easily to send their kid to a charter school, send their kid to a private school, um, homeschool them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. it's.
1: And the thing I really liked about your piece was actually listening to the discussion as it was happening, specifically that moment you were talking about with Tom Tate. I mean it's so easy it is Tom Tate right I think of the name right It is so easy for politicians elected or otherwise school board members included to say hey we're going to improve everything and we're not going to touch the stuff that works you know that that whole bit of that that part didn't surprise me but to him hear him come out and basically say you can't do that mm-hmm. it's not possible I mean it's like this this moment of reality that mm-hmm. you really need to wrap your brain around, because if it was that easy, that you could fix all the broken schools and leave all those schools that are working well alone, then it would have been done. You know, it would have been done super quickly. And that I love the fact that you left in the dynamic of that whole thing because it was so telling about how you really. It's easy to try to make everybody happy, but if you do, you're guaranteed you're going to make everybody miserable in the end because the project will fail.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he basically his thought was. You know, if if you want to preserve that, then there's not going to be much change at all. And at which point, you know, Eric D- Davis stepped in and said, as 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 you were alluding to, you know, well, I think we can find a creative way to do this and not upset a huge amount of parents. Like we need to minimize, you know, parents being upset and and uh, maximize breaking up clusters of poverty. But you know, it's it's hard it's hard to see how you how you can walk
0: that line. I encourage you to go on our website and listen to that exchange that Lisa totally. had in her story. And, of course, one of the things that's come up this week, uh, of course, there's been a lot of uh, rhetoric concerning Muslims, especially in the last couple weeks with uh, the San Bernardino shootings and then also with uh, what Donald Trump has said this week about this uh, ban on Muslims. Um, you're You're working on an interesting story. Just looking at the Muslim community in Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I mean, the basic premise is what's it like? Mm-hmm. What's life now? I mean, you know, uh, as soon as we're done taping this, and again, it's on Friday, I'm going to um, head over to one of the mosques in, in Charlotte. And I guarantee you, I will hear, because you always do, I will hear one of probably the most divisive f- phrases that you could hear in America today, which is Allah Akbar as it comes out over the, the prayer speakers. And I think a lot of Americans—it's—you it's, almost break down into one of three categories. You hear that and you're fearful. You hear that and you're sympathetic, or you hear that and you're trying to decide if you fit into one of the other two categories. It's that device of a phrase, and it's—it's it's amazing to me because it means simply, "God is great." If you—if you heard "God is great" at a number of churches in Charlotte, you would either hear you know, "Amen's" going along with it, or people would clap, or you'd hear you know, "Mm-hmm." You know, you'd hear all these kinds of comforting things like we agree, but yet because it's in Arabic, it changes everything. And I, I, it's interesting to me too, because um, look, the vast majority, the vast majority of Muslims in America are no different than the vast majority of Christians in America or Catholics in America. It's all, you know, both groups have had extremists in recent weeks. Who have uh, done some terrible, terrible violent acts, and literally in the recent weeks—I mean, let's not forget—between Paris and San Bernardino, we had, we had the Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood shooting in Colorado, white Protestant male with a North Carolina background. Um, you know, it's—I want to know what life is really like. That's all I want to know. What is life like right now? Because it's easy to get swept up in the demagoguery of the whole situation, but the, when you po- when you campaign on fear you inherently make a whole other group of people fearful or people fear more fearful of them. And I don't think, you know, it's it's not a voice you... you. It's easy to hear from pundits and politicians. A lot of times you don't hear from those voices. And I just want to know what life is like. And maybe it's great. I'm betting probably not. Um, I'm betting both sides are fearful of the other now, and that's never a good place to be.
0: We'll look forward to that story that'll air, uh, air next week. And you also plan on... You're trying to get a... Uh, go to a a watch party with Trump supporters when they watch the The debate Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing. I mean, we can talk about Donald Trump and you can agree with him or disagree with him. But I think finally, everybody has finally come to terms with he is a legitimate political candidate and he has supporters that absolutely believe in him. And that's another thing that we haven't heard. Again, it's easy to go to politicians and pundits, but I also want to hear from the voices of Mm -hmm. Trump supporters about why. And, you know, it's the, the other reason, too, is we can think about these in terms of national politics, but we often forget that we have an election here for North Carolina offices that will coincide with all of the primaries for, for the presidency. Our, our North Carolina's primary is March 15th. Mm-hmm. We're after Super Tuesday, but we're still right there in it. And, um, you know, so Trump's Trump supporters will be able to play a huge role in multiple offices. Um You know, candidates right now are trying to figure out, especially Republican candidates, where do they fall? What's the Trump quotient? You know, how do they walk that line? Do they go? Do they support? Do they not? What their personal beliefs are and also what's good for their campaigns. And I think uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch as this as this goes forward, because everybody who kept saying Donald Trump and his supporters will come to their senses and everything will be worked out. They've been saying that for months now, and honestly, the only thing that have changed are the poll numbers, and they're going one direction, and that's out.
0: All right. Well, guys, I think we've uh, wrapped up another uh, another edition of <laughs> WFA Talks. I know you've got to go, and you've got to you got to go to to prayers, mm-hmm. to Friday prayers. Yep. Uh, go which, do my story. Which,
1: which, uh, which mosque are you going to? The Muslim American Center.
0: The Muslim American Center.
1: Yep. All right. It's on. It's on uh, Shamrock Road. Okay. So there you go, right next to a Catholic school. If only everybody could get along as well as children. <laughs> um, but does this mean now that you're playing the music, I can also go listen to podcasts? Because I have, or to cereal? Uh, because I've been waiting. I really have been <laughs> waiting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm on de- debating whether to to uh, listen to this week's or just wait a couple weeks so that I can listen to three or four at once. Get your
1: binge on. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks.